turn over in your Bibles to 1 Peter. We're just going to have a short uh, message this morning. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. I was trying to, uh, praying on what to share this morning and that um, we just finished up the book of Titus and kind of in between uh, the series here. So I wanted to really focus on with, with Nagme here and, and uh, understanding the situation that Pastor Saeed finds himself in, uh, I want us to understand that the path to glory is always through um, suffering. And uh, there's, there's no better scripture to turn to for this than First uh, Peter. It lays down Christ's example for us. And if you follow along in your Bibles as I read First uh, Peter uh, chapter 2, uh, beginning in verse... Uh, 20, First uh, Peter chapter 2, beginning in, in verse 20. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. I think one of the most crucial lessons that we can learn, beloved, as believers, as Christians, is how to handle suffering. Because... Reality is, in this fallen, sin-stained world, suffering is a certainty. It's not an option. It's a certainty. It may be the physical suffering that goes with living in these frail bodies, that eventually we get sick and we die. It may be the grief of watching a loved one suffer and die. It may be dealing with problems stemming from your own sinfulness or from others who are sinning against you. It could be even the the simple common pressures of life, of providing a living, wondering how you're going to make the rent, wondering how you're going to pay your bills. It could be emotional suffering, struggling with feelings of loneliness or anger or inadequacy or fear. See, but wherever it comes from, suffering is inevitable. It really is. It's inevitable. I heard a pastor say one time, suffering will either 
make you grow bitter or better. It will make you either grow bitter or better, depending on how you handle it, depending on your outlook on it. First Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7, verses we probably know very well, says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. That word there, translated anxieties, really comes from a word meaning to divide. It, it, it comes from a, the, the word that means to divide our minds so that we can't concentrate properly on the things that God wants us to concentrate on. Someone has defined worry as a small trickle of fear that meanders through the mind until it cuts a channel into which all other thoughts are drained. When you stop and you think of the worries and the anxieties of life and how they can distract us from the things that God wants us to do, productive things, They can consume us and they can divert all of our energy, all of our thoughts into those channels. We need to look at Christ's example. George Mueller told a story of a young boy who was walking alongside of the road and he was carrying this heavy load on his back and his shoulders. And a man came along in this horse-drawn buggy, this cart, and he offered the young boy a ride. So the young boy climbed up in the cart, but he kept the backpack, the burden, on his shoulders. And they went a little ways down the road, and finally the man turned to him, and he says, why don't you take the load off and put it on the cart? And the boy responded, and he said, well, I don't want to burden the horse. See, that's, that's how we are with Christ sometimes. We climb into the cart of salvation through Christ. And he is, in fact, bearing our load. But see, we refuse to take it off and lay it down at the foot of the cross. We need to lay it all on him. I think in, in the midst of trials, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of pain, a lot of times there are two things that we call into question as believers. Even though we know better, even though we know verses that, that contradict these thoughts, but we, we, we just almost just fall into this mindset. In the time of an intense trial, we question God's sovereign control over circumstances. We step back from the circumstance and we say, where is God in all this? How could God allow this to happen? And the second thing we do is we not only question his sovereignty, but we question his concern for us. We've all heard people say, if God's in control and he cares so much, why is this happening to me of all people? Well, when we look at the book of 1 Peter... 
we notice that he emphasizes a couple things, two things, basically. One is there are many blessings for us as believers in Christ. Many blessings. Many blessings that we have in identifying with Christ. And we have privileges as a result of that. And he goes on in, in 1 Peter in the, the, the first couple chapters there. And he talks about being born again. He talks about a living hope. He talks about an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, unfa- unfading, kept in heaven for us. He talks about God's power that's guarding that through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. He talks about obtaining this inheritance. He talks about our salvation. He talks about all these benefits, these blessings that we have in Christ. But he also, throughout this book, he also emphasizes right alongside the blessings of being a believer, of having your sins forgiven, of being born again, and having an inheritance that doesn't fade away. Right alongside of that, he also emphasizes the fact that, you know what, we're going to suffer. In fact, 1 Peter clearly shows that most of the, the, the blessed in faith, those who are blessed in the faith the most, suffer the most. The Christian life is really a, a call to glory, to Christ-likeness, but that call comes through a journey that leads through suffering. And that flies in the face of some of the modern gospel teachers that everything should just be happy and go lucky in Jesus. See, that's because those who are in Christ, those who are committed to Christ, those who are walking in Christ, are inevitably at odds with the culture and the society in which we live in. Because the culture and the society in which we live in is energized by Satan. His systems are not of God. They're at odds with the things of Christ. We see that every day. The Apostle John, even in 1 John 2.15, he said that a person can't love both God and the world. It's impossible. You can't do it. James says in James 4.4, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself a what? Enemy of God. That's pretty direct. That makes the Christian a problem in our society. Just like Christians are a problem in Iran. Doesn't matter what country you go to. Because we don't fit in. Because the Bible says we're a peculiar people. Because we're sojourners. We're just passing through. We understand that this is not our home. And so Peter's readers, as they read this, they understood the blessings of the Christian life, but they also understood the suffering of persecution. So much suffering, it says in 1 Peter 1, 1, that they were scattered They were literally scattered, just like the refugees from Iran. Peter knew of their plight, and he he wrote to comfort them and to, to, to really help them understand that, you know what? Everyone else chosen by God 
for salvation as well is, is going through this kind of suffering. That's just the way it is. First point in your outline there, and I see this in verse 21, is Christians are called to suffering. We don't hear that a lot of times. We don't share that with people when we're sharing the gospel with them, do we? No, you know, hey, God has a wonderful plan for your life, you know. We, we don't get to the point where, yeah, you may have to suffer for Jesus. Verse 21 says there in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, he says, for this you have been called. Do you understand that? This you have been called. Not for health and wealth and everything's fine. No, for this. Well, what is he talking about? That four points back to verse 20. If when you do what is right and you suffer for it patiently and you endure it patiently, this finds favor with God. As Christians, beloved, we're to endure suffering, listen, because it pleases God. It was interesting when I asked Nag made that question, what's the one request you could give the body of Christ? For Zaid or for the other persecuted Christians? You notice her, her answer wasn't, just play, pray for the release. Don't get me wrong, she wants her husband home, so do we. But that wasn't her answer. Because she understands God has a purpose in this. He has a plan in this. She's willing to sacrifice her desire. Pastor Said is willing to sacrifice his desire for the cause of Christ. So that people may be one to the Savior. Verse 21 really amplifies the idea by stating that Christians are specifically called to suffer. In, in America, that almost... Sounds ridiculous. But it shouldn't surprise us. I mean, Peter had just said that these Christians are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that they may proclaim the excellencies of him who called them out of darkness into his marvelous light. He says that in verse 9. See, our dark world, our sin-filled world resents the fact and is often hostile towards those who represent the light, represent the Lord Jesus Christ. We shouldn't be surprised at that. And that resentment and hostility may be felt at certain times and places more than others. But it's always there to some extent. Our understanding of persecution for Christ is so far removed from what this dear family is going with, through. I can't even comprehend it, to be honest. But this is part of God's plan. Christians are called to suffering. Second thing, Christians are matured, are matured by suffering. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, it says, in this you rejoice. And this is exactly what you were saying, Nagme. Though for now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, 
may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We're matured by suffering. 1 Peter 5.10 says there that after, after you have suffered a while, for God, for the God of all grace who called you to this eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. It's through suffering. The problem with our churches in America is we don't understand what it means to suffer. We have no idea. We have no clue. God's way of maturing us is through that path of suffering. He's pleased when we patiently endure that suffering that comes our way. Suffering is part of God's plan to really prepare his people for glory. That's what he desires. Even in James Chapter 1, verses 2 and 4, we know these verses well. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That's maturity. That's spiritual growth. How does that happen? It comes through suffering. James focused on the present suffering, and he, he's really understanding that it matures and it conforms Christians more into the likeness of Christ. That's the goal. I mean, we do call ourselves as followers of Christ Christians, right? We want to become more like Christ each and every day. Well, beloved, that's just not going to happen by getting out of bed and just doing what we do. God has to... Bring things into our life to mold us and to shape us. Some of those things are unpleasant. Some of those things are uncomfortable. But they're there for his glory, for his honor. And Christians are also brought to glory through suffering. The fourth, the, uh, the, the, the other point here in 1 Corinthians 4.17, it says, Our momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. In other words, you can't even begin to understand what it's going to be like in glory. We can't. You know, I just crack up these people, write all these books about going to heaven and coming back. And it's just ridiculous. If you ask me, it's just a way for them to publish stuff because they all say different things. <laughs> and it's, it's interesting when you, when you, when you hear these, these, these folks talk about this. And a lot of times, you know, I, I don't get a sense of glory from what they're writing about. I mean, heaven is something so far removed from us. I mean, there's only selected individuals throughout the whole scripture that even got a glimpse of it. And they were warned not to even talk about it. Well, while suffering does make us grow stronger now, it makes us able to endure, it says, with patience. It increases our faith. It teaches us to trust God. It leads us to depend on Christ. It leads us to depend on his word. 
It also affects how we're going to function later. And that's what Paul says there in, in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 18. He says, we look not at the things which are seen with our eyes, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Even in 2 Timothy 2.12, Paul writes, Timothy says, if we endure, we shall also reign with him. The greater our endurance through suffering, beloved, the greater our eternal reward. And that speaks to our ability to glorify God. Well, also, Christians are identified with Christ in their suffering. They're identified with their master. Christians, as Christians, we're identified with Christ. They suffer to enter glory. Christ suffered to enter glory. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verses 25 and 26, Christ here is speaking to his disciples. And you know the story. They're on the road to Emmaus. And he says to them there in verse 25, Luke 24, 25, O foolish ones, look, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? See, the Lord had to explain, even to his own disciples, the future glory that he was going to have had to come by suffering. And we're to expect the same thing. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10, it says, For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, he made everything, in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through what? Suffering. Jesus was the author of our salvation. He's bringing us to glory, but he's going to do it through our suffering. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. It says, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. It's Christ he's speaking of. Matthew chapter 10, verses 21 and 24. Our Lord gave a warning here. And he says, brother will deliver brother over to death and the father, his children, and children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. Verse 22, and you will be hated By all for my namesake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Verse 23, when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly, I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. It's not going to end. Suffering will not end. Verse 24, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. A disciple is like his teacher. A slave is like his master. And so we shouldn't expect anything different. 
Since Jesus suffered, all his disciples can expect to suffer as well. He promised that to them. John 13, 16 speaks to that. And I know that as we pray for our dear brother and his wife and his family, we pray for God to release him. We pray for God to protect him. And God is doing that. God is actively protecting him. But never forget that God has a purpose in this. And it's a purpose we don't understand and we can't even begin to understand or comprehend. And the purpose is ultimately for his glory. That many may come to Christ. The path to glory for Christ was the path of unjust suffering. When I first started reading about Pastor Saeed's situation, and I'm thinking, well, what was he doing over there? He must have been doing something wrong. And when you read the thing, it's like, no, he was actually working with the government to, to kind of not do the house church thing anymore, and he was going to do this orphanage, and they said, hey, great, help our community, and he, that's what he was doing. But he's a threat. And unjustly, they arrested him. Unjustly, he's being in prison. Unjustly, he's being beaten. In our eyes. But God has a purpose. God has a plan. God has not lost control of this. Our Lord endured suffering with perfect patience and was exalted to the highest point of glory. And he wants us to understand that he's our example of how we should respond. He's our example of how we should uh, deal with suffering when it comes our way. I just want to encourage you, sister, that you're just spending a few hours with you this weekend. You're really... Heeding the call. You're doing exactly what God would have you to do. You're embracing this trial. You're not running from it. And so we just want to be reminded to pray for you, pray for your family. But don't be surprised when suffering comes our way as well. Because ultimately it's God's plan, it's God's purpose. He desires for us to go through suffering as a way to our future glorified state well let's close in a word of prayer and uh, somebody go get the kids they have a little presentation for for Nagme let's part pray Father we thank you for our dear sister we thank you for her ministry Lord I know that this isn't something that she <laughs> looked for and it's not something that she sought out that you kind of literally threw her in the middle of this kind of ministry. She goes out and speaks of her husband's needs and, and, and teaches your word. And Lord, you're using her in a way that uh, maybe she even doesn't understand. But her time with us here this weekend definitely was a time of encouragement for us. And I thank you for her obedient heart to have the faith to come to this little church in Redwood City and to take that time away from even her own children to be able to spend it here with us.
for a couple days. And Lord, we do pray for Pastor Saeed. Even now we pray that you would minister to him in a way that only you can, that you would empower him through the power of your spirit, that you would give him boldness as he's never had before, that you would um, deliver him from this situation in your time, in your way. Lord, we, we want it to, to happen in such a way that, that, that you will get the glory, Lord. And I know that's his desire as well. And I pray for wisdom as he's in there even now and he begins, continues to share his faith with those around him, Lord, that they would be encouraged, that they would understand that God has a purpose for Saeed being there. And Lord, we pray for his wife, Nagme, and their children. We ask that you would just surround them with your angels, that you would protect them, that you would provide for their needs. And Father, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. I just pray if there's anyone here this morning who's yet to put their faith, their trust in Christ, Lord, I pray that they would understand it's never too late. In the Bible, simply a man on a street corner just beat his chest and cried out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You have to understand your need of a Savior before you can be saved. You have to understand that you have sin that needs to be forgiven. That's not too hard for us to figure out. We're not perfect people. We do things wrong and dishonoring in your sight all the time. And you've provided a way through the cross that those sins can be forgiven and that we can truly understand what it means to be reconciled to you, be brought back into the proper standing of our relationship with our Creator. If there's anyone here this morning who's yet to put their faith, their trust in Christ, I pray even now in the quietness of this moment that they would cry out to you, Lord, Save me. Be merciful to me, a sinner. Show me the way of salvation. Help my unbelief. For Christians, I pray as we leave this place this morning that we would remember everywhere we go, every face we see, I pray that the call of the gospel would be on us, that we would share with people the glorious gospel of Christ, that we could see many come to Christ. For salvation, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.